1: this is paul hawksby and andy jacobs and welcome uh, once again to the h&j daily some of the best bits of this afternoon's show uh sanjeev Baskar popped in uh, actor liverpool fan yeah he's in a new film called yeah, yesterday seen. i'm sure you've heard about he was on good form um we're also joined by jonathan vortas who is a, uh, a cycling team manager former tour cyclist and a teammate of lance armstrong's and took us back to the dark days of doping and was uh, fascinating on the subject, wasn't he? That's
2: a bit of alliteration there. Yeah, dark days of in The dark of days of doping. Of doping. Yeah, a bit of Alan Wicker
1: there. Yeah, completely unintentional. None of this is written down. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a lot better than this. Uh, and uh, we office, had a bit of a chat, didn't yeah. we? We talked about various things. quite a lot of ground. We found out what you like to eat, amongst other things, <laughs> and, and plan to replace you with a cyborg, <laughs> not a sideboard. Yeah, maybe we could add that bit into Wouldn't it. Be any anyway. different. No, it's true. Uh, here it all is we
2: Tommy Gillis has just told me that you've uh, been looking at the reaction to my rant about tennis online, yeah. and he said most people the thing they took from it was I was
1: wearing a Fred Perry top, yeah. So therefore, said, somehow I like tennis. You love tennis, <laughs> yeah. yeah. People, people
3: are
2: Brilliant!
1: Aren't they? How do you come to that conclusion? It's well, incredible. I mean Fred Perry, as you'll be aware, and he was a, was a top yeah, tennis yes, player. Yes, I know who Fred Perry they, was. Yeah, yeah the, the Fred Perry top doesn't necessarily uh, indicate that you're a massive fan of tennis, Of course, tennis, exactly, does absolutely does it, really? Absolutely nothing know, to do I mean, with it. Paul at all. Weller's not necessarily at <laughs> the front of the queue. I don't Generally, if you look at... um if you look at uh, tennis in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, it wasn't full of mods, was it? No, not really. <laughs> <Not laughs> skinheads. There wasn't true. a lot of skinheads in the late 60s. There was. In the roll box. And Bob Mills uh, agreed
2: with it. They played my rant out on uh, the gym show this morning. Yeah. Bob Bob was right. He thinks, <clears throat> he, I, I know what he means about it. He says that he doesn't come in to watch a tennis match until it's li- at least four all in the final set. Yeah. Because then he can sort of tolerate, it. then it means something. You know, then it's quite exciting, <clears throat> that little period. So I thought it's not a bad idea. Why don't you just get it down from five sets? To five games. The whole thing will be over in about two days. Yeah,
1: hard. I've just been listening to this. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell does these very interesting revisionist history mm. podcast, and he's been doing one recently. With, uh, there's some chess talk in it. <laughs> And within it They're talking about so You don't listen to the two mics <laughs> <laughs> Well I do I know I listen to that as well I, I, A bit of light relief And sometimes Well this is You know It's, it, yeah, it, yeah. it's not heavy duty They're, they're very interesting Actually mm. There was a very good one On basketball in the first series But this one He's talking about chess And he talks about Classical chess Blitz chess I know people mm. who play chess Will know And there is another version With name I can't remember But I think it's Magnus Carlsen Who is the best in the world mm. I think he's number one At blitz chess He's number one At kind of classical chess Where he had that little bit more time Blitz yeah. chess, you have to make moves very, very yeah, quickly. Yeah, it's like 2020. yeah, of course. But yeah. they've even got a, a less than twenty twenty. They've really? got a f- they've got a thing that you have to b- basically finish. The game lasts a minute minute yeah the game lasts a minute <laughs> and uh, he's not the number one in that um, no. I think uh, so he's found his level but it did strike me that Bob was saying to us earlier on there was that situation with tennis wasn't it where they just played he, Bob says play five games isn't he mm. yeah, just five games and that would be that the whole thing yeah five games not five sets Yeah. so you'd get through Wimbledon in what about three days about three days yeah, that'd suit you wouldn't it perfect yeah, it's suit- not great for BBC sport though because no. apart from women's football that's very much the cornerstone um,
2: isn't and it? how would they run those ads on American Express. Have you seen this? That yeah, apparently, this no. information that's supplied to them or f- highlights footage to the BBC from the All England Club mm. can t- is, a, is a deal with American Express. So they're having to put out, wow. run it on BBC. So it's like a nice free ad for them. But there you Right, go. OK. Unsold strawberries... That'll do nicely. Says Andrew Dillon in his mm. column. It's a very good column, actually. Unsold strawberries do not go to waste after the championship. The leftover fruits... The fruit, moose eats them. <laughs> no. Okay. The leftover fruits are squished on site. And made into gem. Yeah. What about Unsold Gem? <laughs> you go. That's a problem. Isn't
1: it? God, I wouldn't open with it,
2: but no, no. it's a very good point. It's, it's a good point. Andy. The three o'clock at Brighton today. Oh yeah, is the Jane Solicitors no win, no fee? Is that the race or the case?
1: <laughs> well, I couldn't work that That's out. That's great, isn't it? It's, a, it's a, the romance of, uh, of <laughs> racing. It's a beautiful thing. We've got a late guest. Oh, Bloody the microphone's broken. Again, honestly, so excited. You thought you punched the microphone, um, Julius Francis, I was hoping he was going to punch you. That was fa- <laughs> you. Were I mean, I don't. No, you, wasn't. you don't mean it. He doesn't. Mean mean it, John. I thought, well, you were you in the studio when it happened? You, I think Andy, first he got quite close to you. No, and you he t- said, who are you? He said, mm-hmm. no, he didn't say who are you, he said, oh, uh, "Who? Are you? what do you do here? He was just being friendly. Yeah. Like, you know, when the Queen says, what do you do? He was just being friendly. I told him I was the caretaker. And I saw the old shoulder turn, I thought, boy, he's, gonna, he's got a little right cross coming in the minute on the bloke gonna he's hit, been in with Tyson. going to hit Julius Francis, <laughs> <am I. laughs> <laughs> you don't mean it,
2: Andy, but you can. I just wanted him it. to sing Wonderful World. Yeah. <laughs> <Tremendous>. <laughs> yeah. <it> was, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, Gaza he wasn't talking of boxing mm-hmm. he wants to challenge Snoop Dogg you've seen they've had a sort of m- bit of a sort of spat on, on social media
1: I did see that yeah. yeah. so
2: now Gazza said I want to challenge him to a boxing fight Yeah. but I think Snoop would drop
1: him like he's hot Ooh, oh come, come on, on. <laughs> thank you very much T- sensational knowledge of the music <laughs> that, uh, the kids were listening to about 10 years ago but it's good though it's good not too bad it's is it really it's pretty yeah. good yeah I know you're a big fan of that I got in your car once mm-hmm. and you had a bit of uh, Snoop playing We so yeah. got the old windows down the old heads were bobbing we looked pathetic. Pathetic. No, we didn't do that. I promise you we didn't. Promise. Uh, anyway, uh, what we You're got... You're happy for? to get out of the car alive. Yeah, that's what Mr. Magoo... Mr. Magoo <laughs> followed with Snoop Dogg. He's not the greatest driver in the world. Possibly the worst. I don't know if Paddy uh, McGuinness is listening this afternoon, but have you, have you ever got to do a feature in Did Top Gear? the you feel worse world's driving with
2: me or driving with our mate Dave Tully at <laughs> Cheltenham look, no, look, when he uh, drove uh, it about a thousand miles He flies
1: out. quickly, but the man's a pilot. He flies, <laughs> you know, the biggest jets in the world. So I felt very safe with him. My... <laughs> he, I told you, my old next door neighbour was a, yeah. a was a pursuit driver in the police years ago, mm. and he drove like that. that. Yeah. He drove like he was t- somebody just done a bank job. But I always felt he was in control, a yeah, yeah, bit like control. Dave. You know, he d- drives quick, oh, he no, drives he on the brakes a bit, but he's always in control. <laughs> Whereas you, Andy, yeah. you're, you know, you nearly killed me and Frank Skinner. I'm, I'm not but as bad, bad as Lewis story. Warner we had in Russia. No, he, he was, was he, he was, was a special bad. case. Anyway, when he,
2: when he parked at an angle on the hard shoulder, yeah, and then you had to get
1: out on the roadside when the traffic was down about seventy mile an hour. That was very funny. Marvelous. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. So, India's innings has finished 314 for nine. As Jake was saying, not maybe the score they look like we're going to rack up in the first 10 or 12 overs, but probably enough. <laughs> Women's ashes not going too well, though. I've not. So what's the score? 19 for three. 19 for three England, the first. And of course, this is a, 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 a one dayer. It's um, very hard to
2: win a Twenty Twenty if you lose three wickets. Oh, it's a T Twenty over. Oh, yeah. it's
1: not, not fifty over. It's a T Twenty. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sanjeev so Bhaskar, We're very pleased to say, uh, actor, Liverpool fan, cricket fan as well. She'll be buoyed by that news of India. Uh, good afternoon. Well, so, what India just being bowled out? Yeah. No. India. No. Course. India. Well, they've been bowled out, but they're going to win. They're, you know, the well, they should, well, you they're not, not, yeah, but they'll be know,
3: but that's the thing about the the longer this kind of World Cup has gone on, the more interesting mm. it's got. Yeah. You know, over the last couple of weeks, some of the results were were. You know, amazing, mm. the games were really, really good. Afghanistan, I mean, they haven't been far off it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, they've become the whipping boys of the group, but they've not been far off it at times. No, it's true.
1: It's, it, it's, it's been a good World Cup so far, but I would think. I mean, you, you, I, mean I know yeah. they've got some weapons, uh, but you would expect India to win this. Their balls well, aren't would, doing yeah. enough, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Edgbaston, you, you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lovely to see you. Um, you. you are in uh, uh, yesterday aren't you, the new the new film? Yeah, yeah, mm. yes,
3: I am, yeah. Um Yeah, directed by Danny Boyle, yeah. uh, Richard Curtis' uh, rom-com, with Ed Sheeran, mm. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Did you get to do some scenes with him? I did, yeah, I did. We spent a day, actually, and what was interesting mm. was that he, I mean, he's a really lovely boy. I mean, mm. he's kind of a really terrific guy, obviously very talented at what he does. And uh he came in, he was just curious about everything. And at one point he did say, are we going to be shooting this scene all day? Because, <laughs> yeah, that's sort of how it works, Ed. You can make an album in an afternoon. Yeah. 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 Let's
1: play a bit of the trailer, actually, uh, of the mm. film, give you a mm. flavor of it. Until a month ago, you were a complete failure. And then somehow you became the
3: biggest star in the world, as if by magic. So, what happened?
1: Yesterday, all my trouble seems so far away. Oh, I believe in yesterday.
4: Why did you write
3: that? I didn't write it, Paul
1: McCartney wrote it, the Beatles. Who? So there we are. You you kind of get the idea with that as Harry Hill would say because uh, that is it. You know, he wakes up one morning and no one remembers the Beatles. He's the only one that remembers them. Yeah,
3: and, and It's good that he can remember all the lyrics. <laughs> well, actually there's a very funny scene in the film where he's desperately trying to remember the lyrics to Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, really? And not quite getting convinced that somebody's darning their socks. <laughs> Hitesh uh, Patel plays the
2: uh, the
1: lead role, doesn't
2: he? Yeah, he's, and it's he's his, very good. Who was in
3: EastEnders? Was great yeah. in EastEnders. He was Tamar yeah. in EastEnders, yeah. and this is his kind of big screen debut. And he's mm. he's phenomenal in it. And he's throughout the film, I mean the finished film, he's he's singing live in it. And yeah. So mm. uh, there's a scene that we did in uh, Galston, um, uh on the beach, on the roof of a hotel, sort of mirroring that kind of uh, Savile oh, Row, okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. Thing, and uh, uh, and every take he did, he sang live, and that was to. It's the largest number of extras, I think, in this country ever. It was 6,500, six I think, wow. uh, that turned up for that. And uh, he, he was, he, and he is sensational. Really. It's
1: quite hard. They, they, you know, telly's one thing, and all sort of actors tell you that film acting's quite different. You, you approach it differently, you'd probably agree. But, um... You know, it's quite hard to carry a film. He's effectively carrying this movie. It's a big movie, isn't it? With a couple of big things
3: uh, attached to it. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is. It's it's difficult <clears> to kind of <throat> be that central character because actually, if tonally you get it <clears> wrong <throat> at the beginning, <throat> you can't suddenly change it. Uh, yeah. With Telly, episodic Telly, you can you can get away with it because you know three or four episodes down, you can sort of alter your <laughs> performance a bit. But in a film, people just go. What happened to him? That's not explained. He's kind of like he was all—he's all heroic now. Are you, are you his dad? I'm his dad. Say, and yeah. Me and Me and Mira plays parents. Oh, for, ah, so that's yeah. that's
1: good, isn't it? That's so good. you got to go to work with the misses. We and did. She played your misses.
3: Yeah, and we hadn't worked together for quite some time. Mm. And The weird thing was that, you know, we're in this scene playing these characters, and then uh, there's a break, and then you know, one of us turn around and go, "Is have you?" Have you done an Acardo delivery? <laughs> and suddenly there is two worlds that come crashing yeah. together. Did you like it? Did um, you working with say? the? You are not, not going to
1: say not, are you? Really? I mean, of course. No, you, of course what, you. Working you. with a business yeah. specifically,
3: uh, yeah, no, it was awful. You don't that. know where you <laughs> are. <a> he <laughs> made this could be the <laughs> moment he turns. <laughs> you are sitting next to your worst critic. <laughs> oh, well, I am trying, trying to think of a sporting
2: version of this film. The concept about you wake up and nobody knows about, for example, Moneyball. Yeah. So you can then go to Liverpool and make a fortune and persuade them this is a really
1: brilliant idea I'd love to you to come up with. I'd love to see sit and explain it to them. <laughs> There'd all be these old, gnarled scouts sitting there looking at you like an idiot in the boot room. That's not going to work, is it? Really? Not, really, You're not no. the but person. also, But that
3: is a really interesting question, which mm. is what sporting event or kind of team mm. changed sport? You know, where would it have been? You know, what where would the world or our world at least have been different? Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting question. No, it's true.
1: Sc- uh, Scott's Scott, and so our old mate Ali Ross would love it if people, if everybody woke up one day and had forgotten England had won the World Cup in 1966. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole nation that, would, that five million plus that would revel in that. Uh, you you are a Liverpool fan as well, I am. and we just we were just talking off air about the, <laughs> the these are good times to be a Liverpool fan. It's an incredibly well run club. It's, it's all brilliant. heading in the right direction. It, it looks like the only
3: way is up. You've got a great Manager and a good squad. Yeah, I mean, last season it was ju- it was just a joy to to follow Liverpool because mm. I think it's that thing about entertainment and for you know with any organisation it's a top trickle down thing you know and uh, particularly with Jurgen Klopp uh, at the top and Fenway kind of having you know shown their belief in him, um, it's very infectious you know you kind of think about teachers at school you know and there, there were teachers that you really wanted to study for and you yeah. could, generally did better in those subjects because you liked the teacher and I think Klopp kind of embodies that because he is that part leader, part coach and part cheerleader and also what's really refreshing and I think works in, in this country uh, is, is having a sense of humour mm. and you know, it suddenly humanises somebody you know, in a way that you know, his, his humour is never in the way that Mourinho was really entertaining when he first came in yeah. but some of his, his humour became more and more acerbic mm. and acidic and kind of less fun to kind of witness, it just became, you know, seemed to be a, a sort of sort of sour edge to it. Yeah. And Klopp doesn't, you know, he's really up, he's very self-effacing, uh, you know, he'll take the mickey out of himself uh, elf, self as well. And I think that just does trickle down. And a lot mm. of patience with him, which
2: I think is so important with a manager. You know, the, the results when they when he first came in weren't that much better than Brendan Rodgers, but they just knew that he was in the right way and the way they were going, and, it, and it's paid off. And same uh, with Potts, really. Same, yeah, similar yeah. idea.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I think. Well, they. I think they went about building a team, mm. and I think that was the difference. You know, you can bring in, as other clubs have, you can bring in a big superstar player who can, you know, uh, or a manager for that matter, and who can change results for. For a, a few games and everyone gets lifted but unless you're building a team and you have some sort of idea of how that structure is going to work moving forward mm. uh, it's very difficult to sustain but as you say I mean initially his kind of record was comparable to Brendan Rodgers but actually kind of it was you know him sort of holding out for Van Dyke, for instance yeah. not buying a uh, you know a second best defender in that position going we'll work with what we've got you know they're good enough um and waiting and then and then picking up people like Robertson who was just a steal you know youth players coming through which was brilliant like um uh Alexander Arnold yeah yeah uh I still want to call him Terence Trent Darby <laughs> <laughs> I mean I just can't shake that I have to think about his name before I say it. but I think all of that I think has kind of worked to, to their advantage mm. particularly last season
1: uh you are you you're going to do some more
3: unforgottens,
1: uh, the very popular Critically acclaimed ITV series, really the drama series. series. Yeah, yeah,
3: we're, yeah, we're doing a, a series four next year, which I'm really looking forward brilliant. to. I got the, I got the, ep, I got episode one last week. I got a draft of episode one. Yeah, uh,
1: which they're, they are great writing. And the other thing we've talked about before is that brilliant cast you've put the, uh,
3: mm. they've put together over the years. Yeah, great people who have yeah. come through, and uh, uh, you know, getting to work with people like Tom Courtney and Alex Jennings is is kind of a dream, and and drama lessons for me for free uh, <laughs> so i sit there going what do you do oh that's good yeah i have to remember not to say it during the yeah. scene get the interrogator <laughs> the <girl>. you just <laughs> want to go oh, yeah. oh that's, that's good oh, that's good, <laughs> oh, that's good. That yeah. oh, that's I'm, I'm writing like, that one
1: down nice one. That <laughs> <was free."> it. <laughs> yeah. um
3: but no it's very exciting and to get that first episode as well and to see what the setup is and uh and more pertinently to know that you're still in it yeah <laughs> that's yeah, the main yeah, thing yeah. of course go, of oh course, he's yeah. there yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Excellent.
1: Well, uh, uh, good to see you, Sanjeev. Thank you very much for Thank coming you. in. Yeah, Yesterday is at All Good Cinemas Now and no, it's doing uh, very good business uh, already. And it's going uh, to be a stage musical. You know it, of course, once you've got round uh, chatting to the Beatles. It, it's, it's just made for it. But has uh, is it, is it made you revisit the Beatles songs? Uh, I've never you know,
3: needed to revisit them. Yeah. They're favourite band ever. Oh, okay. uh, you know, and I think they, they are phenomenal and will remain phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good to see you. You too. Thank you very much for coming in.
1: The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Andy Jacobs uh, here on Talk Sport the weak bladder of Andy Jacobs alongside me (laughs) rushing back rushing back from the too much information you forgot what time you forgot what time it was didn't you no, I, I yeah, You don't in, really know the details. Need.
2: I didn't go at two
1: o'clock. It was a disaster. Okay, so you, there you go. You have to go. I mean, you are a creature, very much a creature of habit. Well, I you. Yeah, you have to go much, at certain yeah. times of the day. Hmm. I'm going to take you through a list of the ten uh, foods that Brits dislike. Yeah, I saw this. I've yeah. got a feeling that um, that you're going to quite like most of them, but let's find out. Okay, uh, olives. Love olives. Love olives yeah Gherkins. Only a certain type. Yeah, I don't mind. Only a, a certain type of olive. What do you mean? Well, I don't Expensive like all those
2: flavoured olives and all that. I like the olives Just a they make. Olives. Olive. The do you Italian? Like
1: pitted or non-pitted? No, you to like no. Spitting stones gotta, across the room. They've got to have stones in them. Okay, you've yeah. got right, to have stones in them. Okay, right, fair enough. Okay, uh, gherkins. Okay, not bad. Not bad. Okay, five out of ten. Prawns. You are a fan of the prawn? Love a prawn. Okay, is that allowed? All sorts of prawns. Okay. Well, you know, um, strictly speaking,
2: not, but don't worry about it.
3: Let's
1: not go down that road. No. Brussels sprouts. Love a sprout.
3: Wow, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure Goofy. you
1: do. Let's yeah. open a window. Uh, tuna, the moose's favorite. No, thanks. No, you're not tuna <laughs> fan? No,
2: I don't mind a sushi tuna. Oh, yeah. And I don't mind tuna tatar. Here he goes. What about like, on, top, what
1: like about on top of a pizza or warmed up in oh, the office no. microwave like the moose? <laughs> no. <laughs> um,
2: Vile. Mushrooms? Yeah, I couldn't understand why mushrooms are such a.
1: Anonymous texture. People don't like them for texture. Oh, is
2: it? Is that what they don't like? I meant yeah, oh, like, like the, a yeah. mushroom, but there's, there's Son's nothing much to not them. girlfriend's
1: not a fan. Tech bit slimy. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sort of good. Raisins. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Good how, for how can you feel strongly about that? It's sweet. Well, nice. Other fish. Other fish is a category here apart from tuna. Mm, I'm not, not a big, big fish I'm fan. I'm not a are you? big fish fan. No. Okay. Um, I thought, we, uh, when I first read it, I thought we said otter fish. I thought, well, <laughs> otter isn't a fish to start with. And who eats otter? No, apart please. from the moose. Um, chicken on the bone, you quite like. Do you like, you like, you no, like the old Henry VIII situation, as Glenn people,
2: would call why, it? Why do people. Is it because they can't be bothered to take it off the bone and eat it? They'd rather have a fillet. I don't know. I, I can't you like see. It on
1: the, you like picking up a bit of. Well, I can't see what the in... problem is. Really. Okay, fair enough. And red meat. I know you. Have, oh, that's, oh, a a, that's a stupid question. Forget that. You go to I Argentina do. and eat steaks <laughs> the size like... of a house and Fortnum's. Hate So I know you like red meat. So there like we are. That's what Brits don't like. You <laughs> like most of them, Andy, which is good. Yeah. We have discovered something near of us like. Uh, it was suggested oh, yeah. by our assistant producer that we we do a taste test of because this is available. Uh, I understand. At well, Wimbledon. we talked about it yesterday. the strawberries and salad. Strawberries and salad. Cream, but um a salad, basically I'd start... Do you know your cat cats got a furball? It starts <laughs> walking backwards. me too. Put salad cream in front of me, mate. I'll have a furball. And me. Yeah. yeah. It has it, the same effect on me. Dry I? heaving is not great on a lunchtime radio show. <laughs> no, <laughs> not
2: I like, great. I like so, to be uh, coming in as sponsors. So it might be calling for the show's
1: <laughs> official taster. Um, Mike Bovill. We may try and draft Mike Bovill in to eat salad cream yeah, and strawberries. Nearly anything. Well, he ate, uh, he ate um, Cheaps testicles live on air for us, and, and basically he ate Mike Pringles. He got right into them. He ate a raw onion once. Strawberry for fluff, us. raw onion. He's tried so many things. So why not? As it's Wimbledon, we'll get we'll get Beauves onto that a little bit uh, later on if we can. Did you see the East Enders uh, supremo, the boss of the
2: show, oh, yeah. has blamed the Women's World Cup uh scheduling for for the ratings drop hmm. yeah, it's nothing to do with it being unrealistic shouty nonsense <laughs> well that's a very personal view oh, I, I, it's been a long time since it's At been which point i say unrealistic shouty nonsense <laughs> Duff, 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a ludicrous thing to do. You know, it's not, it's not down to the Women's World Cup, is it? Well, I don't know. Uh, Duke of Kent, he went to Wimbledon. Of course did he? he did. Well, he's the president of the All England Club. It's his cup final. It's anything he does all year. I yeah, think. good gig, that, isn't it? Front row. <laughs> that's true, really. Idris Elba said he could have played for Arsenal. Mm. Surely Watford is Luther Blissett. <laughs> not really. <laughs> good. No, he 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 loves Arsenal, so I think he was commenting on Everybody loves that kit launch thing. Somebody sent it to me. Yeah. Saying, Do you like this? And I was thinking, Well, not really. I mean I can see what I can see yeah. what's good about it. I get that it's good, but why would I like it? I think
1: there's a line that says, we run North London. I'm thinking, yeah, not sure. Not sure about that,
2: <laughs> not really. Not sure that's the case <laughs> no, that, at the moment, That's true, really. Yeah. And we're coming up to the, um, quite soon, actually, on Thursday, the Coney Island, one of your favourite sporting events. Oh, yeah, The July Coney Island hot dog eating competition that Joey Chestnut, I suspect, will
1: probably win it. And uh, This right. is, yeah, they do they do the wings, they do the hot dogs. Um, I, I, I hope to get there one year. I keep, it's on the yeah, bucket list. it's on ESPN. Yeah, they, yeah, show, they, an show, it, they yeah. show an hour's highlights show normally of, of the best of the competitive eating. Sonia, the Black Widow Thomas. They do it and they treat it like
2: sport. Of they, do they, it. Do they do it, yeah. do it brilliantly. Well, it is sport, that's
1: why. Well, it's revolting,
2: <laughs> is what it is. But the, I, I'd like to see Joey Chestnut tackle this one. It's uh, a Guinness World Record. Feltmans of Coney Island, mm. Nathan's big rivals, yeah. obviously, have made the five foot long by two foot wide wiener. <laughs> It's a hot dog for are. you, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's about right, actually, size-wise. Sitting on a five-foot bun, yeah. and hoped to have it certified as the world's largest. So there you go. Yeah, I'm hoping to have you certified
1: as well. <laughs> I probably, uh, probably will be. <laughs> uh, did many people buy that? That thing that was two foot long, twenty-four quid, two foot long at the baseball. Oh, no at, uh, idea, really. At the London Stadium the other yeah, day. Yeah, I think the baseball
2: was a success, wasn't it? It Ten was. Tony yeah. Evans
1: writing about it. In I the... saw it on our when we went at the office. I saw a few kind of Americans, obviously with Yankees hats on, and yeah, and t-shirts from the event, so obviously a bunch of people have decided to sort of make a week of it. And who make was the saying holiday that
2: Aaron Judge was out, out and about in, in London, he saw somebody wearing a Yankees cap and went up to them and assumed they'd know who he was, but of course he doesn't realise that... The, the, it's the, a fashion accessory. It's a fashion accessory it has <laughs> yeah. been for a long
1: time. Well, do, you, do you see this story as well? Um, uh, uh, Harry and Meghan went along to the game, mm. and I didn't know this but uh, Meghan is a distant cousin of Mookie Betts. Oh, I didn't Red know Sox that. Red Sox player, right, you didn't know okay. that, yeah. They have said that they had they they hugged it out the pair oh, of them. I see, they're, they're, obviously, this story has, has has come up from somebody looking into the ancestry of Eva Mookie Betts. Or, well, he was, was one of the Red Sox top players, by the way, and uh, and Megan pair said to share ancestry dating back 150 years years to America's deep south, according to a U.S. Genealogists, and they obviously both bought into this. Their, their origins can be traced back to uh, Alabama relatives. The 1870 federal consensus reportedly shows Joseph Betts. Mookie's great-great-grandfather and Jacob Betts is the great-great-great-grandfather mm. of Meghan. So all bets Meghan. are off. That's when all they go be- on holiday. All, be- <laughs> all bets are off. That's his <laughs> holiday show. Yeah. That's his holiday show. It's
2: brilliant. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Brenda Titterton, who often writes for The Sun. That's her I name. remember She was in a carry-on film, <laughs> one, surely, <laughs> was, yeah. played by Joan Sims. Honestly, people are funny. She writes, Well done, Johnny Bairstow on your century against India in the Crickets World Cup. In cricket's World Cup. Yeah. You can put two fingers up at so-called experts like Michael Vaughan. What he do you was mean, so England called? captain. He won the Ashes he's in 2005 he's not a so-called expert he's an mm.
1: expert there is a Honestly, documentary This funny, I think they? this Sunday 10 o'clock this Sunday Channel 4 documentary uh, reliving the 2005 ashes so you'll oh, never that'll get be good. never get too much of that so no I you'll never get tired of in. that really we'll have to see a cricket film tomorrow aren't we which are, our yeah. producer has seen and we'll report back uh, called uh, The Edge. Which I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to it. Sensational. Nothing yeah. to do with you too. No. And um, Strictly producers want to sign Alex
2: Scott. I mean, she's everywhere. And she's doing really well yeah. at the World Cup and on Sky and everything. And uh, and they wanted to be on Strictly, which will be great. Mm. But I noticed that uh, Virgin Radio host our own Chris Evans has signed up. And, uh, he's <laughs> brilliant and it's very nice of the BBC to give him a free advert for his Virgin show every yeah. s- Saturday evening. <laughs> it's perfect. Blimey, he's got he's, some late nights and some
1: early mornings there. Well, isn't Well, that's it? true, yeah. But oh, he's... He's pretty fit, isn't he? He does a lot of running and all yeah. that, so I'm sure he'll be fine. So, um, still to come this afternoon, we've got to look at some of the transfer stories mm. of the day, uh, including uh, Harry Maguire and one or, other, one or two other deals that uh, could be done. We'll be having a chat with uh, Darren Lewis, who's back tonight, of course, oh, at yeah. 10 o'clock with Andy Goldstein in uh, Sports Bar reflecting... Yeah, well, hand a tin round for uh, Wilf Zaha's brother, yeah, it seems so upset. Please, please let him join the club he's supported <laughs> since he was a boy. Well, it doesn't work like that. Not and quite, they, yeah. the, the story is that Palace are what was the word? They, were they enraged? Insulted, I think. I think wasn't there was another word that was used, wasn't it? I, I thought, think they laughed, didn't they? At the, uh... I think they probably look, you can understand it, but you think, well, you know, have, have Palace over the years never offered Chesterfield, Tottenham, take me for a player they knew was worth more than that? I mean, <laughs> well, probably. All, Chelsea, all clubs do. That. Arsenal are just they're chancing it. They've got no chance of getting the player for that money. It's almost like they're mm. using the Daniel Levy playbook, and you think. Hang on, we haven't signed anybody until today for 18 months. <laughs> yeah. That's not the playbook you should be using, no. really, if you want to get a deal over yeah. the line. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. AI unit Wimbledon cutting all the highlights for you. Come into so if you're an editor, you're thinking, oh, yeah, thanks. Or a producer. <laughs> I know I head. know what he says when he says it gives them a chance mm. to do something else, but it could be oh, it really. gives him a chance to do nothing. It gives him a chance to <laughs> <do nothing>. <laughs> <laughs> have to find a new job. Yeah, that's new it, that is. But, you know, look, you can't mess with progress, can what you? There could be a couple of robots doing this uh, show. Well, there will be eventually. In a few few years time and they'll be better and Marie Gosney has written to I have the court circular I could actually program a computer to do yeah. this and job artificial unintelligence <laughs> Andy Jacobs virtual Andy Jacobs that's right we could, we could do that it's yeah. Wimbledon I have time a for a rant T20 birthday spread for you oh I can't find it on my cheats I had it a few moments ago <laughs> that would work wouldn't it program. not all robots speak. Like that, I mean, it's no. not 1973, well, is it? Because they'd speak yeah. like me if you, if you yeah. replace me with a robot, yeah. <laughs> It'd
2: be That's much worth point. thinking about, but it, it might be, be definitely worth thinking about. Yeah. I don't know, I think the robot would be more expensive. <laughs> the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport
1: joining us in the studio now. Uh, a former uh, cyclist who is uh, currently the uh, team manager of VF Education. First, we take it he's on his way to well, Belgium first and then France for the tour with his team. He has written his autobiography, One Way Ticket, uh, Nine Lives on Two Wheels. Not just talking about his time as a a manager, but also as a rider, working alongside, amongst others, uh, Lance Armstrong and the US uh, Postal team. Uh, Jonathan Vortis, good afternoon. Good to see you.
4: Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in.
1: Um, We often say, like, writing an autobiography can be a kind of cathartic experience, getting it all down on paper, but I sense from what I've read... That wasn't really, from your point of view, it was quite a painful experience revisiting some of this stuff.
4: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe the, cathars- the catharsis had happened a few years before, with, but, you know, revisiting and, and honestly looking back, you know, in my time as a rider and uh, my time it, when I was competitive in the sport and realising I wasn't always such a great guy, you know, <laughs> I wasn't always the best person that I could have been during that point in time.
1: Mm. You, do, you do say in the book that you think to be a real... Top rider, you have to be damaged in some way. There has to be a kind of flaw because that gives you often the drive to succeed, to put yourself through what cyclists do, you know, to take themselves to the lengths that they do.
4: Yeah, I mean, you can't be a risk averse person for the sport. I mean, you're you're going around corners in the Alps at, you know, 70, 80, 90 K an hour. Um, You're risking your life. You're training extreme degrees. Either, uh, it's it's just a certain set of personality. I think that there's always something to prove. I mean, one one story I didn't actually tell in the book, but I was thinking of earlier to demonstrate that is when I was a kid. We were out on Halloween night and we were, you know, messing around on Halloween night and and my there was an ambulance sitting there and the keys were sitting in the ambulance and my friends were like, Oh, that'd be really funny if someone just drove off in that ambulance and I said, Yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) And so But that's the mindset of a professional cyclist. Is it's it's and of course I got caught and I spent the night in jail and this whole you know but that is the mindset of pro riders is that they are willing to risk anything and everything. And and it's just it's just you know part of their DNA. Yeah,
1: one one aspect of the book you've you've talked about is is your time uh, with U.S. Postal around that time when uh, sort of doping in 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 cycling had become uh, almost essential if you had any chance of being mm. successful. And I've got to be honest, we've talked about this mm. on the show before and spoken to different people. Tyler Hamilton joined us in the studio a few years back when his book was out, and. I think for an average sport fan, it's quite hard to have sympathy for that story of saying, well, everybody else was doing it. We had no choice, really, Mm -hmm. if we wanted to compete. But I've got to be honest, having read the book, I kind of had some sympathy for it, possibly for the first time, because the the level of it, the fact that literally everybody was doing it, and you would see guys that had been in your wake for such a long time suddenly overtaking you and moving on and thinking, this can't be right. It must have been very difficult to cope with.
4: Well, I mean, the thing to understand is... um It's not, you know, there's no excuse for doping. There's no excuse for that decision. There's no justification in saying everyone was doing it. And it's not even an attempt. The book is not an attempt at at putting fault on anyone else other than myself. Um, It's simply putting a, a window into, you know, why that happened. And at that point in time in the world of cycling, culturally, and when I say culturally, I mean amongst the guys riding, it was encouraged. And that's kind of bizarre if you think about it, because I remember guys on other teams coming up to me going, come on, man, like, get with the program here, like, you know, you're falling behind everyone, you're you're making a fool out of yourself, just just get on with it, get on with the doping. And you think, well, why would they do that? Because once I started doing it, I was actually beating them. So why would they be encouraging mm-hmm. me to go ahead and dope so that I could be even more competition? And the reason for that is I think the whole peloton, the whole group felt essentially guilty about the whole thing. And they mm-hmm. and. It's like they almost wanted everyone doing it because then they, you know, would feel like it was more of a level playing field. I fundamentally believe that most sportsmen in general... Now, of course, there's, of course, the 2 3% that are just crazy sociopaths or whatever that truly do want to cheat. But most sportsmen in general, all they want is a level playing field. Mm. And unfortunately, in the mid-'90s in cycling, you know, EPO was such an incredibly powerful drug that if one person or two people or one team was taking it, in order to level the playing field sort of everyone had to take it. But I don't, you know, and this is what I see with the guys today and the guys back then is they're not, these are not bad people. Mm. You know, these are people that they have flaws and, you know, and they've had rough childhoods and they're obviously not risk averse, but they're actually really good people and they want everything to be a level playing field. They want to have a chance to show that they are the best. And sometimes that can lead down a bad path.
1: You you remember a time competing against Lance Armstrong and he was in the Motorola team and he was one of those railing against this. He was one of the loudest voices saying the testing to the UCI this has got to be better this can't be fair again he was feeling that yeah, helplessness saying that right through his career as well <laughs> yeah but at that stage w- yeah. he was clean and he was saying it yeah
4: it's an interesting thing that's something that is is very often forgotten about Lance Armstrong and uh, is that in, in those years now he won the world championships in 1993 as a 21 year old one of the youngest world champions ever and he won that as a clean rider and that was right in the moment where EPO is really coming into you know into play by 1995 he was basically irrelevant in the world of cycling. He was being fired out the back of every single race in the early season that year because everyone else had had started using this drug that was so massively powerful. And I can remember races with him early that year. I think I think he changed his philosophy by the time we got into, you know, July and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But but early in that year, I remember going to races with him, and he, as a former world champion, as someone considered one of the most talented riders in the sport, was getting shot out the back you know, like a bag of rocks. Yeah.
1: Can you still remember that first time you you took EPO? Because you were part of a team that was trying to do it ethically, but (laughs) But there (laughs) was uh, was other stuff that they were kind of giving you and vitamins and amino acids and stuff. Certain things saying, look, we're not doping. We're just trying to give you a bit of a competitive advantage in a world that is doping. But in the end, the only way to do it was to dope. And as you've said, cyclists, they're not bad people. They want a level playing field. What was it like that moment when you thought I've crossed the kind of Rubicon?
4: You know, uh, it was... Anticlimactic. I I can barely even remember that moment. It was such a steady sort of grind downward, if you will. That, you know, the, the the culture and and just getting just beat up in every single race you did, and and sort of being made fun of by riders around you on other teams. And that when when that moment finally came, it wasn't a oh my god, I'm finally crossing line. It was a, I was almost begging to cross the line.
2: Mm. Have I, there been I don't know if there have yeah. been detrimental effects. And people's health from taking EPO. I mean, has it been proved to be a dangerous thing to have done?
4: I think uh, it, if it, if the quantity is really high, then sure. But. Um, to put it into perspective, um, in, this is just in units and, it, but I'll give you an idea is you know, cancer patients were typically being given in, in that sort of era when they were using EPO more readily for cancer patients were giving, being given around like 12,000 units per week. Um, a professional cyclist would maybe be using 4,000 units per week. So the difference is, is really big. Um, I, you know, I can't say for certain that there are no you know long-term side effects um the short-term side effects of course if you take too much of it is that simply your blood gets too thick and you would die but by the time i was racing they'd you know kind of figure that out and there was enough testing to at least prevent that from happening um as far as long-term stuff i don't know of anyone who's had some really bad side effects um but you know it's uh, interesting that give me a call in 20 years <laughs>
1: yeah how much difference did it make to you as a cyclist and athlete once you you'd taken it once you did you notice the yeah the difference? i mean for
4: sure it, it it makes a difference and then there's some recent studies that came out that said oh you know it doesn't really make a difference whatever that it's i don't i don't know the, the study must be flawed yeah um yeah it is a noticeable difference um it's it's a lot of the other doping elements we talk about you know testosterone and cortisone and, yeah. and all this i i don't actually know whether that stuff makes a, helps or doesn't. I, it, mm. it's, it's very questionable to me. But EPO was something that um, certainly you could feel the difference um, after. You know, it takes a while. It doesn't set in immediately. It's maybe a month later you, you start to mm. really feel the effects.
1: You and others mm. decided to go public on on your kind of doping past and you, and you testified to US anti-doping around the, the Lance Armstrong situation. Um, that must have been a very difficult a very difficult thing to do. I think a lot of people may be listening thinking, having said what you said earlier on, why didn't you turn whistleblower at that time? When you were in the midst mm. of it, did you think people wouldn't listen? Or Yeah.
4: I mean, especially during sort of the peak of the Armstrong era, uh, I would say cycling fans, journalists, the, the world in general did not want to hear that.
1: The governing body as well. The governing body
4: did not want to hear that. Now, they, and now... If you, in the book, it talks about my first meeting with the U.S. Anti-Doping Association, mm. which actually was, but it was a very private meeting. And even they were a little bit sort of intimidated by what the reality was. They were like, oof, we don't even know how to, how to start going after this. Um, but yeah, people didn't want to hear it. You know, yeah. um, the fans would sort of lynch you. If you were the one to stepped forward, and, and you saw it over and over again, you would see guys who would step forward individually like Christophe Bassons is is an example, or Frankie Andreo is an example. That early on, they decided to step forward, and they were just demonized and and sort of kicked out of the sport. And and, and um, you know, it, and it wasn't even just people inside the sport that were sort of booting them out. It the fans were they yeah. were reviled. He
1: was such a hero, wasn't he? Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, but you know, that must that must have been a frustration for you and others to to see that kind of this sort of deity. You yeah. know, when you all knew the truth. Um. Uh, and yeah, you kind of wonder what's your relationship like with with Lance Armstrong now.
4: I mean, we don't talk anymore, really. No. He, mm-hmm.
1: I mean, bullying is another th- uh, kind of thing that comes off uh, as a bit of a theme in the book. And mm. and again, Tyler Hamilton told us the same thing. Yeah, he was definitely. very clear, and you've mentioned the other people that he did bully. He was a bully, wasn't he? And he was he was very he was not somebody who was prepared to come clean when the opportunity. Yeah. After all, the U.S. anti-doping stuff came to light.
4: Yeah, I mean, people often ask me, "Well, why was he punished so severely?" And there were so many others that, that you know that came clean about it, but they weren't given the same punishment. And the answer to that it's, it's very simple, honestly, is that um, you know, and, and maybe this isn't exactly applied in the rules or whatever else, but the the reality of life is that the, you know, the two reasons he was punished so severely is that he failed to ever take responsibility um, for what he had done, and he had bullied so many people. You know that then they slowly kind of absorbed that you know and pushed it down and kept it in their you know in their stomach for a little while and then when the time came you know they were they were not willing to to, to give him much forgiveness we're going to talk in a minute about
1: the kind of the way the sport has moved on and, and you're placing it now just one final one it's interesting timemon said it you know, he said to Lance. I said, "Have you got a message for Lance Armstrong?" And he said, "Yeah, the, the truth makes you free. I'm just telling him to tell the truth." And it's interesting; it clearly hasn't, because mm. he could have come back to you and others and said, "I was a bad guy. Then I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I was a different person." This a kind of redemption from Lance Armstrong. It doesn't sound like he's gone down that route with you or others.
4: No, no, I, I, not that I know of. I mean, I, I, I think he's probably more angry with me now than he was back then. I mean, the, really. Wow. The... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's incredible. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. We return tomorrow from 1. Uh, thanks for listening.
4: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.